This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand real quick and then go with me to Matthew 5. You know, that's the cycle of the world right there. And there's three things that we'll show you today through Scripture, but what happens with us when people hurt us or wound us? We begin to hate. And that hatred leads to revenge. And then revenge leads to a thing that we can call payback or punishment. So we see it over and over. Hate, revenge, punishment. Hate, revenge, punishment. Now that's the way of the world. That's not the way of God, okay? And so we highlight that today or show you that just so you can begin to see, I can't go that way. You know, one day I saw a bumper sticker and the bumper sticker said this, I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians because they are so unlike your Christ. And one of the the characteristics of Christ is to be like him. And to be like him, I'm going to have to learn to forgive. So begin with me here in Matthew 5, verse 43. And this is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's how the world thinks right there. I'm going to love my neighbor, but I'm going to hate my enemy. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Every one of us this in some time in our life probably experienced these things right here. Hurts and pains. But it's interesting to me that we get a hold of the, the four key words that Jesus said there in verse 44. He said, number one, love, bless, do good, and pray for them. Now, every one of those words that were used right there were used in a verb sense that means action. That means you've got to do something. Don't just talk about it, but actually do this. And I believe in life, to respond to hate with hate guarantees hate will win every time. And so when Jesus says to do this, he really means it. And Jesus set the bar high. And I don't know if you've ever figured this out about the Bible, but it is annoyingly accurate. There's times I look and I think, man, that's crazy. How can we do that? But yet this is what Jesus prescribed. Now, keep reading with me here, verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, that phrase right there is real interesting to me. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So he's telling me to obey verse 44 qualifies me in verse 45. To be a son of God in heaven, i got to love, i got to bless, i got to do good, and i got to learn to pray for those who persecute me and spitefully use me. And then he goes on and says in verse 45, and he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so what was he telling me there? Well, just as God indiscriminately reigns on the just and the unjust, He's telling me and you, we can't discriminate in our love toward people that we love or toward people we hate. Just as He blesses everyone with rain, this is how our love's got to be. 
Verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do we, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And understand when he talks about the tax collectors, they were viewed as the scum of their time. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now understand this, the word perfect there, guys, he did not mean perfect to be flawless in your moral nature. That's not what he was meaning. He was talking about the, the perfect right here, that we're to be perfect to show love and to good to every person. Now, when you read all this that, that Jesus talks about right here, forgiveness as a Christian wasn't an option. It's a requirement. And under no illusions was Jesus saying this is easy. He never said this was easy. Now, I want you to turn over just a couple books to, to Matthew 7. And the theme throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this. Love and forgive. Love and forgive. Love and forgive. And you see it over and over and over. And I believe when Jesus highlights this so much in there, you know what he's saying? You've got to get it. You've got to get this. Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you. Now, Jesus hits this from a positive slant because he says, whatever you want men to do to you. He didn't say, whatever you don't want men to do to you. He said, whatever you want men to do to you, what? Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So when we read this right here, the key is in my life is how I treat other people dictates how I'm going to be treated. And many times this right here is referenced as the golden rule. As being good as to other people. Now, this isn't about salvation, okay? Many times we've tried to compress the gospel right here just into salvation. All you got to do is get born again and that's it. And listen... I'm not downplaying salvation. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. But understand this right now uh, concerning this. Salvation is the beginning point. It's not the ending point. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you get born again and then you just live happily ever after. No, you get born again and then all the stuff breaks loose. And you got to start living by how Jesus asked us to live. And Jesus, once again, is under no illusion. This is easy. Now look what he says in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So when you look at this, he talks about this gate that's wide and it's broad, but it seems right. It seems easy. It seems popular. Actually, it's, it's the road that's endorsed by society. It's the way that the majority's going on. If you'll read that right here, he said, many go in by this road. But if you look what he said, it's the road that leads to destruction. So it's this flow that it's easy and everybody's going in this direction and you just get caught up in it. 
But look what he goes on to say in verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult, hard, vigorous is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's interesting that he says all this. So when you get born again, in my thinking, salvation is not real difficult. All you got to do is, is put a little pride down and come to an altar and receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Okay? But why would Jesus say that this way, this road that leads to life is difficult and vigorous? It's hard. You know what I believe Jesus is telling us right here? You walk the narrow road by living the golden rule. And the reason he says that, to live by the golden rule, it's difficult. It's vigorous. That's why not many people go in it. That's why if you choose to live that road, you're going upstream. But all oh, Jesus endorses it. And he tells us to do this. So this isn't about salvation. This is how salvation is to be lived. And when we think about salvation, me and you are recipients of what Jesus did on the cross. And you know what that is? Every one of us are forgiven. But that's not the ending point. Because Jesus then tells me and you, pick up your cross and follow me. So the very thing me and you are recipient of forgiveness, he now tells us to be Practitioners of the same thing. Not only am I to receive forgiveness, I'm to give forgiveness. And in our society, that's not real popular. But it's real big with Jesus. And so right here, Jesus is the one who says, this road is difficult, this road is hard, this road is vigorous. But he's the one who invites us to get on that road. Why? Because he was the example. And every one of the things that we read in Matthew 5, Jesus experienced. He was hated. He was cursed. He was persecuted. He was spitefully used. But yet he never did take offense. Now let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 37. And this is one of the favorite passages that I can read to you. On how to walk in forgiveness. And we've been talking here for weeks about a thing called detours. And I, I personally believe this may be one of the strongest detours that happens in our life. That we have great dreams, we have great plans for our life. But because we get wounded or hurt, we spin off that road and we're detoured because we walk in unforgiveness. Now none of us in this room are, are, are immune from unforgiveness. Every one of us have the opportunity to either walk in forgiveness or unforgiveness. Genesis 37, and we're going to bounce all through here today. Start with me in verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Biliam and the sons of Zilpah. His father's wives. Now, we've got to fill in some blanks here real quick. This is the history of Jacob. Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. Jacob's father was Isaac. Right here, it talks about this son Joseph being 17 years old. Okay, 
Jacob had 12 sons by four different women. Leah was his wife, one of them. She had six children, including the the oldest, Reuben. Uh, Rachel was his other wife. She had two children, Joseph and Benjamin. Now, Leah had a maidservant whose name was Zilpah. Zilpah had two children, and Rachel had a maidservant named Bilia, and she had two children, okay? Now, this is big that we understand the history of this, okay? So we keep reading here. And it says, And Joseph brought a bread report to them to his father. So Joseph was a little tattletale. He went and snitched on all the older brothers. Verse number 3. Now Israel, and we can stop right there. You say, who is Israel? Israel is Jacob. Have you ever seen in the Bible, it happens quite frequently, that God changes people's name in the Bible. You know why he changes their name? So their name is their same character. You can look at Paul, who was Saul. You can look at Abram, who was Abraham. And even right here. And so Jacob is Israel. So it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. Now when you wore a tunic like this, it stood for royalty or leadership. Verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So the dream was this. Joseph tells all these older brothers of his, he said, the day's coming, boys, when you guys are going to bow down before me. Now if you're an older brother sitting here today, How would you like that when your little younger brother comes up to him and says, listen, boys, you guys are all going to bow down before me? You know how most of us would respond? And I'm going to knock your head off. And so you read here real quick that Joseph had this dream, just like many of us in here. But not only did Joseph have the dream, the dream had Joseph. And because of his youth and his pride, man, he said some things he shouldn't have. See, it's one thing for us to have a dream. It's another thing for us to go and broadcast it to everybody else and act like we're God's gift to the world. That was his mistake here. And so if you look at the first thing that happens to his brothers, it said they hated him. They hated him. Now think of the cycle here. Hate goes to revenge, okay? So what happens here after he has this dream? His older brothers go to a region called Shechem. And they're out tending to the flock. And they start having this discussion after he tells them the dream. And some of them are saying, let's kill him. Let's kill him. So what do we see here? The cycle. Hate to revenge to actually pay back or punishment. So Joseph, he shows up. And we pick back up in the same chapter in chapter 22. And it says, Reuben, who was the oldest brother, said to the other brothers, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And so not only did they take this robe of royalty from him, 
Actually, to a certain degree, you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to steal his dream. Verse 24. Then they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And so they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So by selling Joseph like they did, it was literally measure for measure. And what I mean by that, remember he said, I'm going to be your master. So instead of him being their master, he's now going to be a slave. And understand this, when you think about Joseph here, he's had this great dream and he goes from this dream to the pit. Now you're talking about somebody's life taking a detour and getting off track. And he's surely thinking, but what about the dream? But what about the dream? I believe he, he probably looked to God and said, What's up, God? Why is all this happening? So go with me to chapter 39. And we'll begin in verse number 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So we pause here just for a minute and we think about Joseph's life. He goes from the dream to the pit, and now he's a slave. You're talking about his life becoming really dark. And so Joseph doesn't have a bucket list. Joseph has a hit list. And you can imagine what's going in his mind toward his brothers. Stuff like me and you talk about, it's the last thing I ever do, I'm going to get even with them. The day will come when I'll get even with them. But instead, Joseph begins to serve God right there as a slave. And his boss, his master, this guy named Potiphar, he, he begins to see that everything he assigns Joseph to do, it prospers. It's blessed. And so he starts raising up the assignments for Joseph. And he puts Joseph in charge of everything that he has. But Joseph's got a problem. You know what his problem is? He's good looking. The Bible said he was handsome in appearance. He was on, on the, all the, the, the front pages of GQ. I mean, he was a model. He was it. And Potiphar's wife, who was a modern-day cougar, I'm ad-libbing it here. I'm just putting it in there. She goes after him. She goes after him. And she says to him, lie with me. And the Bible's very clear that Joseph refused. Now think about this a lot of times. When, when things in life don't go right and we get sidetracked, you know what it's very easy to do? To get caught up in the flow of sin. And just keep sinning and keep sinning and keep sinning. But Joseph didn't do that. He wouldn't compromise the things of God. Now, same chapter, 
Verse number 9, and look real close at some of the words in here. And he says, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has Potiphar kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. You are his wife. Joseph, you're not my wife, you're his wife. And so Joseph fully understood, for me to mess with this woman was sin. Point blank sin. And look how he described some of this in these next few words. And he said, how then can I do this great wickedness? Now, in our society, we're bombarded with sexual things. All you've got to do is watch TV. And it says pretty much in our society, if it feels good, do it. And a lot of times when it comes to sexual immorality, our thought is this, the Bible's outdated. The Bible's no good. The Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. But yet, if I want to live that way, understand, in, in God's eyes, it's wickedness. And God doesn't bless sin. I don't care who you are, God doesn't bless sin. The Bible's very clear. The sexual immoral will not have a place in the kingdom of God. And so look how he defines this. And he says, And I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against God. Now, I highlight that right there. He did not say in sin against Potiphar. He said in sin against God. So understand, when we sin, guys, it's against God. God doesn't bless sin. So even in this passage, when this starts happening, you know what the Bible says Joseph does? He runs. He flees. He didn't kneel down right there in the living room and say, Lord, I'm going to pray about this. He got out of there. And it's a lesson to be learned right there. Then when sin tries to overtake us in any rent, flee. Get out of there. So he runs, and guess what happens? She grabs him by the back of his shirt. And ultimately, she falsely accuses him of rape. Same chapter. Look at verse number 20. Genesis 39, verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him. And put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Wow. So we think about his life. He goes from the dream, to the pit, to a slave, to now he's in prison. And I believe his hit list has now grown. It's just not his brothers. He looks and says, it's the last thing I do. I'll get even with Potiphar's wife. I'll get even. So he's now in prison. And he comes across two of the Pharaoh's chiefs. Now the Pharaoh was the king of all of Egypt. And the two chiefs were the chief butler and the chief baker. And so Joseph looks and says, boys, why are you so sad? And they said, listen, we have this dream, but we don't know how to interpret it. And Joseph said, I can interpret dreams. Do I still believe there's people that interpret dreams? I believe it's a gift from God. I really do. So they say, interpret the dream. So Joseph looks at the butler and says, this is what I get out of your dream. In three days, you're going to be restored back to the king. I'm telling you, the butler was thrilled. Yes. So the baker says, well, interpret my dream. And Joseph looks at him and says, in three days, you're going to get hung. Not good. And you know what happened? Both of the dreams came to pass. 
But when this took place here with the butler and the baker, Joseph makes a huge mistake. Chapter number 40, verse 14 and 15. Look at this. And Joseph says to the butler, But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. You know what he's saying? I'm innocent. I shouldn't be here. Now, here's where he gets in trouble. Instead of looking to God to promote him and get him out of this situation, he looks to man. And anytime I look to man, guess what? It's going to get me into trouble. If I'll just keep my heart on God and say, Father God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look to you. So because they, or Joseph chose to look to the butler instead of God, two more years are added to his sentence. Now look at the last verse there in verse, or chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You know what the chief butler says? Hostile lasagna, buddy. I got what I wanted out of you. And that's the way the world is. So now he's in prison for two more years. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he has this great dream. He brings all the, the Egyptians that he can find to interpret it. None of them can do it. And one day the butler's in his presence and the butler scratches his head and said to the Pharaoh, he said, listen, while I was in prison, there was a little Hebrew boy in there who could interpret dreams, and he nailed mine. So the Pharaoh says, clean him up and bring him in here. So Joseph goes in there, and the Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. Pick up with me in chapter 41, verse 37. Now you're getting a whole five, six chapters of this all in one, okay? I encourage you to read all of it. It'll bless you. Chapter 41, verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of the Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And the Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? You know what happened here? They saw God in Joseph. And that's how God will work. When we live for God, people will literally see God in you. And because of this, Look what happens here. In verse 39, Then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there was no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And the Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So here's the interpretation of the dream. He tells the Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of abundance. And after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. It's going to be feast and famine. And so we think about here with Joseph. He goes from the dream to the pit, slave to prisoner, and now he's the prime minister. He's the man. And before long, guys, the feast is on. And Joseph begins to store up grain, and he stores up grain where he has so much in abundance, and all of a sudden, the famine hits. And here's a rags from riches story, literally. But when the famine hits, 
people from all over the region start coming in. And guess who shows up? His brothers. Thirteen years of resentment and revenge. And it would have been very easy for Joseph to look at every one of them brothers and gone. Measure for measure, boys. You caused me to be a slave. Now I'm going to make you be a slave. But he didn't. But he didn't. He chose to forgive them. And ultimately, God restored his relationship with them. But not only with them, he got to go back and see his father, Jacob. And he was alive when Jacob died. But the story doesn't end there. Genesis chapter 50. Turn with me there. And you know what? I can tell you what happened in Joseph's life right here. Joseph chose to live the narrow road by walking the golden rule. That's exactly what he did. Was it easy? No. You talking about difficult? You talking about vigorous? To know how bad they had wronged him? All the hell he had lived through? So we pick up here, Genesis 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the, all the evil which we did to him. Now, this is exactly where I saw the cycle when I began to study. Genesis 50, verse 15. Just look at it. It said, first of all, hate, and that he will repay us, revenge, with what? Because of all the evil that we did to him. So you see the cycle right there that begins to take place here. And they believed that Joseph was just biding time until their father died. And then you know what they thought? Joseph's going to get even with us. It's not good no more. Verse 16. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying. They lied, okay? Daddy didn't say this. Verse 17. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you to please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Do you know the word forgive right here? Is the first time in the Bible that it's used right here. This is the very first time. Now note the words of the brothers right here. They said in there, For your brothers and their sin and their evil. So we pick up now in verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Now get this, that verse right there 
is the fulfillment of the dream. Remember in the dream, the dream was, one day you'll bow before me. The key is, let God fulfill the dream, not me. But I want you to note how the dream was fulfilled in her life in verse 19. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. How did Joseph get in the place of God? Because of love, humility, and forgiveness. And because he chose to forgive, God put him in that place, and ultimately the dream was fulfilled. So we jump to verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. I want you to really pay attention here to verse 20. This wasn't some form of cheap grace, okay? Joseph said, what you did to me was evil. He didn't say what you did to me was okay. He didn't say what you did to me was all right. What you did to me was no big deal. No, he called it what it was. And the reason I highlight that is because many of you in this room, you've had evil done to you. But the thing is with Joseph, we can, we can learn right here, is when Joseph said, you meant it for evil, Joseph didn't say it in a toxic manner because if he would have, it would have poisoned his future. But instead, he said, you meant it for evil. But God put me in this place so I could save many. Verse 21, now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones and be comforted to them and spoke kindly to them. So what I want you to see here, guys, Joseph didn't go from prisoner to prince to be held in bondage by unforgiveness. He would have never had the dream fulfilled in his life. He would have never had any future Unless he chose to forgive. And that's why I love this, because this is one of the most difficult stories in all the Bible to me. To look there and think, I had family members that wronged me. Just like some of you. Just like some of you. And Joseph had a future because he, he, he closed the door to his past. And said, I'm going to forgive. Now, I want you to go one more uh, verse with me. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Forgiveness will frame your future if you'll allow it. And here's the deal with unforgiveness, guys. None of us are immune from that. If you live on this earth as a human being, you're going to have opportunity to be offended a lot. And let me highlight this once again. Don't ever think the things that were done to you weren't evil or hurtful. They were. But look at this in Romans 12, and this will help you. Verse 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil, evil for evil. And a lot of times what happens When we do this, we get over and we like to blame. And when I start playing the blame game, even though I may have been treated wrong, the blame game will literally paralyze me. 
It'll literally hold me this way in life where I never proceed to the, the dreams and the future God has me. So he says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things. Let good things be your aim in the sight of all men. Not just good men, not just bad, all men. Verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now I want you to highlight that. As much as depends on me. It didn't say as much as depends on that person who hurt me. It said as much as depends on me. So once again, how I handle hurt, evil, being persecuted, being despised, has a lot to do with my future. And I can even either hold on to that stuff or I can begin to let it go. And out of all these detours we talked about, this is the fourth one. I personally believe this is probably the, the hardest one for people to get, get past. Because a lot of times we have this mentality right here. I'll forgive them when they tell me they're sorry. Well, here's the deal with that. A lot of times they don't even know what they did was wrong or they don't care. And so if you're waiting for someone to, uh, uh, for, to tell you they're sorry before you're going to forgive them, it may never happen. Actually, I'm going to go a little deeper. It probably never will happen. And so what ultimately happens here with us, and I want you to think of this analogy here with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is like poison. And it gets on the inside of us. You know what poison will do after a period of time? It'll begin to rot you. Ultimately, it'll kill you. But when I forgive... It's as if I'm releasing that poison out of me. And when I get that out of me, it's a process that God starts healing me. But i got to get rid of that. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.